you have Bibles, uh, please go ahead and make your way to the book of James. James is a letter toward the very end of the New Testament. Uh, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles that Rachel mentioned earlier, uh, page 1011 is where you will find um, today's text. Let's just go ahead and, uh, and jump right into the text um, today. Uh, I'm going to start in James chapter 1, verse 19, and then read through the end of the chapter. So uh, listen now with open ears to this book that we love. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that you would help us to hear your word with open hearts so that we might truly understand and in understanding that we might truly believe and in believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and all obedience, that we would seek your honor and your glory in all that we do. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So two uh, big ideas from this text that we'll spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. Uh, James, as you heard, is calling us to be both hearers and doers of the word. There are other parts uh, of the Bible, particularly some of Paul's letters in the New Testament, that the gospel will bring this challenge to people who are doers, who are prone to not hear, people that try to save themselves by their morality and their hard work. That's one important error that the gospel rebukes and corrects. James, uh, like Jesus in places like the Sermon on the Mount, he corrects the other error, where we're prone to be hearers who don't actually put that stuff into practice. And so two, uh, two big ideas from this text that James uh, really uh, aims at here in these words, that doing is becoming who you are, and second, that doing is the difference between worthless religion and pure religion. So first, let's talk about doing is becoming who you are. Uh, look again with me at verse 21. James says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The, the second half of that verse in particular is really significant here. Uh, he says, receive the implanted word. And last week as we looked at the first part of this letter in verse 18, we saw that this word is the word of truth. It's the gospel of the salvation that has been purchased through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And James here is saying that that word, the gospel, has already been implanted in you. And he could only say that to people who are already Christians. To those who he says, as he reverses them in verse 19, are beloved brothers, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
So remember here, James's primary audience as he writes this letter, he's writing to Jewish Christians uh, who are scattered throughout uh, Persia and Syria, um, Palestine and Syria, excuse me. And, and just like in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' primary audience are not those who are considering Christianity. They're there in the crowd, but his primary audience are disciples, those who are already following him. James is writing to those who are already Christians. That's an important detail because James is not telling his audience to save themselves through their hard work or efforts. He's telling them instead to work out their salvation. The command to be doers of the word is a call to those who are already Christians to receive the word that's already been implanted in you. In other words, it's a call to allow the gospel to influence every aspect and facet of your life, to become obedient to all of the implications of the gospel. James is saying here, the gospel is in you. Now live in light of it. So the rest of what James says in this text, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, practicing pure religion, all of that is fleshing out what our lives should look like as those who have the implanted word of God in us. He's calling us to functional belief, not just believing these things in word, but actually demonstrating that we believe these things by putting them into practice. And like all Christian obedience, it means that we follow these commands not to change our identity, but because God in Christ has already given us a new one. Obedience in the Christian faith, in the Christian life, is only and ever the pursuit of becoming who you are, who you already are. This is where the mirror analogy that James uses down in verse 23 fits so well. Verse 23 says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like with um, new diets, uh, new workout plans. This is the time of the year uh, that you might be looking in the mirror a lot more than you do at other times of the year. Maybe you look in the mirror a lot all the time. That's cool if that's your thing. James is saying here, it would be ridiculous to look intently at your face in the mirror and then immediately forget what you look like the moment that you step away. But that's exactly what it's like for Christians to claim to know and believe the word of God but to fail to put it into practice. It's to forget what we look like. It's to forget who we are. Many of you uh, will remember the, the 1991 movie Hook, uh, starring Robin Williams as a grown-up, uh, middle-aged Peter Pan. He's been away in that movie. He's been away from Neverland so long uh, that he doesn't remember his identity. He doesn't remember who he really is. But there's this one scene and it's actually really powerful when I went back and looked at a clip of it on YouTube. There's this scene, I didn't expect to like tear up watching Hook. <laughs> it can happen, I'm telling you, it can happen. Uh, there's this scene where this, this little child, one of the lost boys, is playing around with his face. He's contorting the skin on his face. And there's a little more fat on Peter Pan's face. Uh, the skin's a little droopier. But as he's moving his face around and he contorts it, he all of a sudden stops and says, oh, there you are, Peter. Oh, there you are. This is what being a doer of the word is like. It's remembering who you are. It's discovering and rediscovering and then stepping into your true identity, the identity that has become yours through the implanted word of God. 
So for those of you who are Christians in the room, which I know is many of you, and those of you who maybe have been Christians for a long time in your lives, which I know is many of you, when you hear commands in Scripture, have you become too comfortable writing those off? Have you become comfortable neglecting the the radical nature of Christian obedience? Uh, Have you, in the name of cultural norms or Christian subcultural norms or watered-down interpretations or your own failed attempts, become comfortable being a hearer of the word but not a doer? This has been convicting to me where I'm at in my life even right now. Uh, and maybe this will resonate with you. Perhaps you were once passionate about faithfulness to Christ. Uh, Perhaps you were once willing to sacrifice and be selfless and forego comforts and ease for the sake of knowing Christ and his sufferings. Perhaps you used to, uh, you, you went to bat for the poor and the marginalized in our world. Or perhaps you used to talk with Jesus a lot with other people that you know and you had this kind of holy angst and this kind of urgency that others would come to know Christ but you don't have that anymore. It's not there right now. If any of that describes where you find yourself today, then look into the mirror of the perfect law of God and not to earn favor from God, not to redeem yourself, but because you have already been made a new creation in Christ, remember who you are. When you look into that mirror, like Peter Pan in that movie, there might be a little extra fat in what you see in the reflection. There certainly will be some wounds There's certainly going to be some darker circles under your eyes from the baggage of this life. But as you peer into the word of God and put it into practice, may you likewise be able to exclaim and recognize yourself, oh, there you are. There you are. Second big idea in this text is that doing is the difference between worthless religion and pure religion. And those are strong words, are they not? Worthless versus pure. They're not intended, in James's writing here, they're not intended to condemn you. They're intended to compel you. They're intended to call you onward to flesh out the implications of the gospel in all the areas of your life. James is saying, as far as it depends on you, don't, don't waste your time with worthless religion. Don't deceive your heart with empty talk, with just consideration and thinking about things. Don't live a life of worthless religion that only ever hears and thinks but doesn't put into practice. He says, be a doer of the word. The things that James lays out here in this portion of scripture, it's not the totality of the Christian life. It's not the totality of Christian practice. Uh, John Calvin put it this way. He said, James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. What are those things? Verses 26 and 27 introduce us to three different things, three commands that James will then flesh out in his continued writing in the letter. We'll come back to these things in in weeks to come. Three things in verses 26 and 27. Bridling our tongue, which he comes back to in chapter 3. Caring for the vulnerable. There's a lot of that throughout the entire letter. Chapter 2 has probably the most of it. And then keeping yourself unstained from the world which he'll come back to in the second half of the letter, starting in chapter 4. There are uh, a ton of different applications of these three commands. But in light of our focus on uh, mercy and justice issues this month, uh, specifically on sanctity of life issues today, 
let's walk through some specific implications for sanctity of life issues in these three commands. So first, James says, bridle your tongue. We must be those who watch our words about topics like abortion and suicide and assisted suicide and other end of life and other sanctity of life issues. There is so much brokenness caught up in these things. And yes, uh, there's callousness and there's cynicism and there's hard-heartedness, but underneath there's often, almost always, mountains of pain uh, and shame and anger and confusion going on in the lives of those who are considering these things. So as those who care about the sanctity of life, the best place really for us to begin is with James's words in verses 19 and 20. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We should listen a lot. We should learn to be compassionate and empathetic. We should spend time with people who are uh, considering these kinds of things, really understanding where they're at, where they're coming from, why they find themselves at a place in their lives where the only option for them is an abortion or suicide or something like that. There's, this is part of James's point here too. There's a huge difference between your anger and God's anger. God's anger is only an ever righteous anger. It's directed at the sin that has corrupted and fractured his good creation. That is not ever at odds with God's compassion, which he also has in his heart for his people that he made and that he loves. It's possible and necessary for us to cultivate uh, that kind of godly anger. If we're going to be God's agents of redemption and reconciliation in the world, we should cultivate that kind of anger too. But that's different from us ranting. That's different from us blowing up at someone. Be slow to anger, especially anger at the image-bearing human beings who are considering abortion, who are considering suicide. Sanctity of life through and through is an image of God issue. We value life because life is created in the image of God. So we should always be those who are consistent by treating all image-bearers with dignity and with compassion. It would be so inconsistent to, in the name of sanctity of life issues, rail someone who also themselves is an image bearer of God. Capillary Pregnancy Center does this really well. Uh, And not only on the front end, as women are considering what to do when faced with an unplanned pregnancy, they also care for those really well who have had an abortion. Uh, I'm grateful for the abortion recovery ministry uh, that Capillary Pregnancy Center has, and that they're not afraid to wade into those really broken and hard and complex places with people on the other side of that decision. That's necessary and right for us as Christians to do just as much as it is to prevent abortion on the front end. Second, James says, care for the vulnerable in their affliction. Uh, He speaks specifically here about widows and orphans. Uh, That's because in first century Palestine, they were among the most vulnerable people in that society. Uh, Widows and orphans are still some of the most vulnerable in ours today. So are the unborn. Uh, so are the mentally and physically ill. So are the elderly. And James calls us to care for the, for the vulnerable in their affliction. Many different facets to this. Uh, voting, legislation, political action, all those are important aspects of being those who value life. But it has to be more than a political issue. Uh, being a doer of the word is what James is calling us to here. It means we care for those 
who are in their affliction. We visit those who are in their affliction. A pastor named Scott Sauls uh, wrote a book a couple years ago called Jesus Outside the Lines. It's a really helpful book. I benefited from it greatly. And in it, he calls for Christians to be involved with sanctity of life issues beyond political party affiliation. So whereas the, the political right uh, is known for its pro-life, for its anti-abortion stances, Saul says the political left has historically placed a high value on the sanctity of human life outside the womb. Generally speaking, Saul says, the liberal or progressive wing is known for championing the rights of postnatal poor, weak, and oppressed. And he goes on to say this, both sides claim that they are upholding the sanctity of human life. Both sides claim that their utmost concern is for the least of these. Both sides believe without a doubt that Jesus is on their side. And both sides, believing that they possess the moral high ground, launch verbal and digital grenades at the other for having such low regard for human dignity. So let that challenge you. Wherever your political affiliations lie, let that challenge you. Do you consistently value life? Practically, uh, that means caring for the poor and the marginalized. We'll talk more about that next week. It means prayerfully considering things like foster care and adoption. Or if that's not something you and your family are doing directly, coming alongside as a support network for those who are. It means caring for people in the kinds of circumstances where they do feel like abortion is their only course of action or suicide is their only course of action. It's caring for people after they've had an abortion and made a decision like that and are dealing with the brokenness of that. Caring for the vulnerable also means intervening. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, someone in this church shared with me that a good friend of theirs was considering an abortion. That's a hard place, and I know others of you have probably been there. That's a really hard place for you to be in. But as God's people in the world, we can never be those who choose between compassion and confrontation. That's a, that's a false dichotomy. The corrupted narratives of our world will tell you that you have to choose between compassion and confrontation. You don't. And if you're in a position where someone that you love, someone that you know is considering having an abortion, then who more than you is in a better position in their lives to love them, to care for them in that vulnerable place, and at the very same time, care for the vulnerable life in their womb that is yet unborn? Who knows if that is not for you an Esther moment? where God has put you in that position for such a time as this. It can't just be left to Judy and Sandy and Dr. Long, the, the people who work at, at, at Life Choices Clinics. It's, it's we who are present in the lives of others who must intervene. Something else that often gets overlooked in this. We must be those who mourn and grieve with those who experience miscarriage. I had the chance to do that uh, with some dear friends just a couple days ago. Like I know others of you have experienced in the room, uh, this couple not long ago experienced a miscarriage. Uh, they decided uh, after some weeks uh, of praying about what to do and, and, and how to process all of that, they decided to name their child uh, and we held what was essentially a small funeral service in my living room with about 10 people uh, a couple nights ago. Why do we do that? Because miscarriage isn't just a statistic. It's not just something that happens. That unborn child is a life that is precious to God. And if we say life begins at conception, if we fight for the rights of the unborn to live, then the flip side of that coin 
is that we should mourn and lament the lives that are lost in miscarriage. The third and final thing that James says here, keep yourself unstained from the world. And this, I think, is the corrective to another false dichotomy that we often either believe from our culture or carry around in our own heart. Just like compassion and confrontation are not mutually exclusive, nor, according to James' James's definition of a pure and undefiled religion, are social action and personal holiness. Social action and personal holiness. And in a month where we're focusing on all these issues of mercy and justice, we need to see James holding the two of these things together. The, the history of the church, the present condition of the church, is filled with examples of different tribes of Christians that care about one of these things or the other. It's an either-or kind of thing. But it can never be, if we're going to be faithful, faithful Christians in the world, it can never be an either-or pursuit. It's always a both-and. Social action and personal holiness. Now, what does that have to do with the sanctity of life? A lot of things. One example. One of the reasons that there's such a high demand for abortion, and not by any means the only reason, but a prevalent one, is because our society has increasingly divorced sex from marriage and sex and marriage from having children. But in the design of God, those three things are incredibly connected and interrelated and held together. We are prone in our day to treat those as completely separate, having little or nothing to do with one another. And one of the lies in our culture about abortion specifically is that it's, it should be a woman's right to choose because a woman is entitled to her sexual freedom. But our culture's definition of sexual freedom for women and for men would be God's definition of slavery in his design. It's not just about women's rights in that sense. It's about men and women having completely backward and corrupted view of what sexual freedom and what sexual slavery is. I'm grateful for how a woman named Star Parker has written about this. Um, she founded several years back, actually about 20 years back, uh, the Center for Urban Renewal and Care in Washington, D.C. And as a black woman speaking about one particular facet of this, she offers incredibly important insights about the damage that lies like this cause. She says this, Abortion is a crime against humanity. We shouldn't be doing it. But in addition to the moral, mental, and medical implications, abortion feeds into a narrative that women are victims, as if they don't have any control over their sexual impulses. That's what different leaders imply when they say these poor, pitiful people wouldn't know what to do without abortion. Then people buy into that as if they cannot discipline themselves sexually, and they engage in reckless sexual patterns. That's what happened to me. If abortion were not legal, she says, I probably would not have gotten totally out of control sexually. Abortion has become an entitlement program, and that's how it's sold. It's extremely destructive, particularly in the black community. Now that's her addressing one particular facet of this. Where might you have bought into some of these lies? Uh, where might you have become subtly or not so subtly stained by the world in your own perception or your own practice of sexuality, or as Judy called it, which I love that phrase, sexual integrity. Don't just check the box of being pro-life. 
And being a doer of the word means not only caring for vulnerable people who are considering or who have had an abortion, it means you stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It means you fight against lust. It means you hold high God's good design for sexuality. A religion, James says, that is pure and undefiled before God puts into action the design of God for all of life, both caring for the vulnerable and keeping yourself unstained from the world. There's so much more uh, that could be said about these three commands, about the sanctity of life. Let's end with this. You, man or woman, sitting in this room this morning, you are an image bearer of God. Yours is a life that is precious to God. And for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, who have become Christians, you're, you are not only an image bearer of God, you are a redeemed, reconciled image bearer of God. Remember God's love for you, which, he, which has brought you forth, James said last week, by the word of truth, which has implanted that word, his very word, within you, and with which God in Christ has brought and will bring your salvation. It is the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Become a hearer and doer of the word of God. Be one who bridles his or her tongue, cares for the vulnerable, and keeps yourself unstained from the world. May you look or look again and keep looking into the law of God, into the mirror that is the word of God. And may you become who you are. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would, by your word, hold up the mirror to us where we see not only the ways that we've fallen short, but we start to catch a glimpse of who we really are because you have made us new in Christ. And we pray that this month, as we consider James's call to action in the Christian life, to be those who are not just hearers but doers of the word, that you would help us to see how that is an outworking of what you have done for us that we would become increasingly who we are, that we would remember who we are. I pray for all those in the room who remember a time fondly in their life where there was a passion and a zeal and they felt like they were faithfully and obediently walking with you, but, but the years and the baggage of life and the preoccupation with other things that are important but not ultimate, all of those things have bogged that down. I pray that your good and holy word would hold up a mirror to us and that we would see who we are we become who we are. And Jesus, we think today, too, of all of the families, the women, the men, the children who have been impacted by abortion, by other sanctity of life issues, and we long for the day that you in Christ make all things new and that those sins are pushed back completely and completely eradicated. We come now to this table as those who are so desperately in need of your mercy and grace. Would you wash us by your finished work? Would you remind us of the forgiveness that is ours in Christ for those of us who have committed sins in these, in these areas? Would you call us to be those who with unbelievable compassion, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, can speak with compassion into the lives of those who are facing those things right now? We desperately need your grace to be sustained in this life. We pray that coming to this table today would be a renewal in it. We pray that your spirit would do that in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.